Welcome to the Mystic Access Podcast, where the magic is in learning. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Mystic Access Podcast. It is Kim's 75th episode. Yay! I cannot believe it. Wow. So exciting that I've been here for 75 episodes. And what a cool way to end the year, too. That's just exciting. Does that, does that make you old? I guess it does. Well, sometimes I, I certainly does. feel wow. it. That's for sure. Anyway, I'm Chris. <laughs> I'm Kim. It's my anniversary here. <laughs> and I'm Lisa. Welcome to our last podcast of the year, guys. Yay. Yeah. It's fun. It's been fun bringing them to you. You know, just a bit of trivia, because I just talked to somebody who asked me this yesterday, and they said, you know, how do you guys all plan to meet up in the same place? Are you all in an office together? And the answer to that is no. We're actually in three different states, and we sit down and we record these podcasts and through the magic of technology it kind of sounds like we're all in the same room which has its advantages but the fact that we're not in the same room means that we can't hit chris up to buy us pizza that's right yeah so pretty much every advantage has its disadvantage but that's true we're, (laughs) we're very happy to be here talking to you and sharing information and fun tips and tricks and things with you and have enjoyed doing that this year. Speaking of tips and tricks, I recently had to reformat my Windows computer. And to make a very, very long, long story short, or shorter than it needs to be, I had to replace the internal hard drive because it kind of got scrambled. And in doing that, I replaced it with an SSD, which for those that say they don't speed up your computer, they most definitely do. From something that took five minutes to boot, now takes less than two minutes to boot, maybe even less than one minute. Although I don't have as much gunk on it as I did before. But because it was an SSD that did not have any version of Windows on it, it didn't come from the store with Windows, you just turn on and run for the first time. I had to use another computer and create a Windows 10 startup media, which is the latest version of Windows 10, which is fall 2017, which allows you to run Narrator from the beginning. So you get full speech access through your Windows setup, and it was very, very easy to do. And when Cortana came up, which I thought was really interesting, Cortana said, if you really need an accessible screen reader, press control Windows enter. So I did that. And the neat thing about this whole setup with Windows is not only did I have speech output access with narrator, I had speech input access with Cortana. So when she said, your keyboard language is currently set to blah, would you like to change it? And I say no, literally say no, not type. And she goes, okay, would you like to add another language or something? I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember. It was at three in the morning when I did this. And I just said no. So I was able to use both speech in and speech out through the first time Windows startup. And it literally took about a half hour from start to finish. It was really a pleasant experience and the fact that I was able to do it by myself with no sighted assistance was really refreshing. Yeah, how many of us remember the days when it was like, oh god, I have to go find somebody to help me, this thing has to be reformatted, or it's in the dreaded loop. That happened to me a couple times over the years, and it was like, save me! And you would have to have sighted help to get that fixed, and I'm really thrilled that now that's no longer an issue. 
Yeah, it was really a pleasant experience. I was really happy with it. I thought, well, the worst thing that can happen is, and it really wasn't the worst thing that can happen. It was a very pleasant experience. And now I'm reinstalling all my apps and things that I really need to get the job done on that machine. But it's made it a much faster experience as well with the SSD. Speaking Installing of all those apps, that's the worst thing that can happen. Exactly. Yes. And speaking mm. of that, one of the really cool tools that can help in that, just a little trick for everybody, is this awesome website called Ninite, N-I-N-I-T-E dot com. Yes. And there are so many apps on there that you can just reinstall easily, effortlessly. One of us can do a demo on it next year, but it's just a really awesome website that can save you so much headache. When you go to that website... There's a bunch of checkboxes, and you just check the boxes of the apps that you want to install, and then you go get installer, and it literally downloads like a 300K installer. But the beauty of the installer is it installs all of those apps for you. So if you're installing Chrome and Thunderbird and Firefox and Skype and Reader and these apps that would take you more time than you really want to manage to go track down all your installers if you didn't have them. And it also gets the latest version of those apps. So if you have one of these little setup files that you keep for such emergencies, then when you run that setup file, it goes and grabs the latest versions of those installers. So it's really cool. That's awesome. It's just a fun, convenient way. If you're forced to do this and set up your computer again from scratch, <laughs> it's nice to have something that makes it at least a little more bearable and convenient once you've got the setup process completed. Yes. I suppose before we go on to other topics of interest, we should make one little housekeeping announcement for all of you, and that is our closing date. We are closing up shop for the year at the end of day Wednesday, December 20th, 2017. So we will be done then and our voicemail will be open and available, but we won't be returning calls until the new year and we will reopen on Wednesday, January 3rd. So we'll be back with all of you then. We'll have our New Year's podcast coming out before that, but that'll all be the magic of automation. That's all coming out prior, so you will get it on the 2nd, but we won't be here, so <laughs> we'll be back the 3rd, but we're closing the 20th. So anything you need assistance with, please don't hesitate to leave us voicemail, and we'll be happy to get back to you in January. Of course, the site will remain open to you before that. Just know that orders won't go out until January 3rd. Actually, orders might go out. Okay, orders might go out. <laughs> so, Chris is the person who does all the stocking, for those of you who don't know. So, if Chris feels like he can get everything and get it all done and get it ready for you, then orders will go out. Just don't expect them to go out on Christmas, because he won't probably be doing that. No, not Christmas. <laughs> Even though Christmas is a Monday, certainly. I don't think he'll be packing up any orders at that time. Just one more note before we move forward. For those of you who are looking for those last-second presents... We have gift cards. So just a quick reminder about those. If you don't know what someone you love might want, but you would like to introduce them to us and our goodies, and we certainly appreciate that, you can get them a gift card for any amount of your choosing. And the gift cards all have nice descriptions, so you know what they look like, and you can email them to the person that you love, and off you go. And you can get them in Christmas, birthday, thank you. Hanukkah is still going on, so if you wish to get a Hanukkah card, you still can. So we have lots to choose from, and if that interests you, you can check them out on the site. In fact, Christmas and Hanukkah are featured right now. So if you go straight to our shop, which is mysticaccess.com slash shop, you will see Christmas and Hanukkah cards featured. And these are virtual gift cards, so they don't go out in the mail. You'll just email them to the person that you love, or our site will. You can leave them a little personalized message. So that's something to keep in mind. 
Now for the kind of meat, if you will, of the podcast. And one thing that I wanted to talk about and do a little demo insert of is the Cook's Essentials Air Fryer. Now, this is a very cool air fryer. I got it from QVC. And from what I've been reading on some of the mailing lists, there are people that are interested in the air fryer, but their air fryer has touch screens or things like that. This Cook's Essentials has physical buttons. It has presets, like one for steak and one for melted cheese and one for, you know, just a whole bunch of other things, chicken. So you do the presets or you can do it manually. And I had somebody go through the manual with me and we now have all the different settings for the presets and how to do it manually and things like that. And that'll all be in the insert, but it's just a very cool air fryer. And of course, we'll be linking to the actual model that Chris bought in the show notes. Hello, everybody. I'm going to talk about the Cook's Essentials 5.3 quart air fryer. This air fryer I purchased from QVC a couple of months ago, and I've been liking it a lot. Some air fryers have touch panels on them. This air fryer has physical buttons that you can press, and it kind of looks like a, a dome. That's just kind of what it looks like. It's a big dome. And on the front, there's a handle that you can pull out, and that's where the food goes. There is an outer basket and an inner basket. The inner basket's where the, at least the stuff that I've done, goes. And on the handle, you'll find a little button. If you press that little button, you can lift the inner basket out of the outer basket. And you put the inner basket back in, and then you put your food into the inner basket. And then you slide it into the air fryer. One cautionary note, if you take your hand while it's off and cold and touch under under the inside of the air fryer, you will feel the uh, heating coils. So you definitely don't want to play with that. You can also feel the fan. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of spinning the fan if you can hear that. That's the fan. And probably shouldn't have done that, but I did it anyway. And I'm going to insert the whole thing, the inner inner container and the outer container. On the front of the device, you have an LCD display surrounded by 15 buttons. The button closest to the bottom of the circle, literally right up above the handle, is the power button. If you press the power button once, it turns it on. If you press the power button again, it sets it to... 370 degrees for 15 minutes. So you have a quick way to set whatever you want to 370 degrees for 15 minutes. The two buttons to the right of the power button are timer control buttons. The two buttons to the left of the power button are temperature control buttons. Press these buttons. You can increase or decrease the temperature 10 minutes at a time. The temperature range is 170 degrees Fahrenheit to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. You also have 10 preset choices. So if you start at the bottom where the power button is, then you have your temperature control buttons, minus and plus. Then you have including fries, chicken, steak, fish, cheese melt, chicken wings, chips, bacon, 
After the bacon button, you have a preheat button, and then you have a quick five button. So when you press the quick five button, it will add five minute increments to your time. So I'm going to do something really simple, and I'm just going to insert my food. And I'm going to put the back in. And I'm going to hit the power button. And then I'm going to hit the cheese button, which is directly above the power button. And then I'm going to press the power button again to start. And as you can hear, the air fryer is running and it is heating up or frying my food. It's very simple, very straightforward, has physical buttons instead of touch panel or whatever. And it has presets, which I've cooked steaks in it. I've cooked chicken fingers in it. I've also cooked mozzarella sticks in it. And for me, at least, the mozzarella sticks, I just had to run the cheese melt preset twice and they came out perfect. So that was my workaround for doing that. If you press the power button while it's running, you will stop it, but the there is a white fan light and the fan will continue to run for at least 20 seconds. So again, you have the 15 buttons around and it's pretty straightforward. And a link to this Cook Essentials 5.3 quart air fryer will be in the show notes. Thank you very much. And when this is done, I will be having some dinner. Now that I've had my dinner, I'm going to have my friend Microsoft Mark, who is a Windows One Core voice, read a little bit of the manual that was slightly modified to help assist with the orientation of some buttons, etc. So let's do that now. Button 1 power button, bottom of the circle. Once the outer basket and fry basket are properly placed in the main unit housing, the digital control panel will display off. Selecting the power button. One time will set the unit to a default temperature of 370 degrees F, and the cooking time will be set to 15 minutes. Selecting the power button a second time will start the cooking process. Pressing the power button during the cooking cycle will turn the unit off. The white fan light will continue to flash for 20 seconds. Buttons 2 and 3 timer control buttons, two buttons clockwise from the power button. The plus and minus symbols enable you to add or decrease cooking time, one minute at a time. Keeping the button held down will rapidly change the time, 130 minutes. 1 through 30 minutes. So the lowest is 1 and the highest is 30 minutes. Buttons 4 and 5 temperature control buttons, two buttons counterclockwise from the power button. The plus and minus symbols enable you to add or decrease cooking temperature 10 degrees F at a time. Keeping the button held down will rapidly change the temperature. Temperature control range, 170 degrees F, 400 degrees F. So the temperature range is 170 to 400 degrees. Buttons 6 through 15 preset choices. 10 presets to choose from including fries, chicken, steak, fish, 
cheese melt, chicken wings, potato chips, bacon, preheat, pee, and quick five, five. Once selected the predetermined time and cooking temperature function begins. Note, for button 613, you can override the preset function by increasing or decreasing time and temperature manually. For button 14, the preheat function, you cannot override the time or temperature. For button 15, quick 5, you can adjust the time setting. Each time you press the quick 5 button, the time will increase in 5 minute intervals. Time and temperature. This display will keep track of the temperature and remaining cook time. Right fan icon. This display will keep track of the temperature and remaining cook time. White fan icon. The flashing, white fan icon will appear when the unit is turned on and for up to 20 seconds after it is turned off. Preset button cooking chart. Now this is really cool because this will tell us a chart of what each preset is set for the temperature and time. Frozen French fries, 400 degrees F, 12 minutes. Chicken, bone and breast and legs, 360 degrees F, 20 minutes. Steak, 1 inch thick, medium rare, 400 degrees F, 9 minutes. Fish, 1 inch thick, 400 degrees F, 10 minutes. Cheese melt, 340 degrees F, 3 minutes. Chicken wings, 400 degrees F, 12 minutes. Potato chips, 300 degrees F, 16 minutes. Bacon, 400 degrees F, 8 minutes. Preheat, 400 degrees F, 3 minutes. Quick 5, 370 degrees F, 5 minutes, 530 minutes, 5 minutes increments. Cooking with the air fryer without presets. Once you are familiar with the air fryer you may want to experiment with your own recipes. You do not need to select a preset function. Simply choose the time and temperature that suits your personal taste. Preheating the air fryer. You may preheat the unit for more efficient cooking simply by selecting the preheat preset button or by manually selecting a cook time of 2 or 3 minutes. And cook at the default or higher temperature. For preheating, you will need to insert the empty fry basket and outer basket into the unit housing. Warning, never fill the outer basket with cooking oil or any other liquid. Fire hazard or personal injury could result. And that is it. So that should really get you started. And I hope you enjoy this demonstration of the, the Cook's Essentials Air Fryer. And the link will be in the show notes. And we are back. We wanted to each share a favorite holiday recipe with you. And when we asked Chris, and we even did a little arm twisting, <laughs> he didn't have one. He didn't have one. He said, well, I have the air fryer. So Kim and I each have a recipe to share, and then Kim has an additional one. We'll just consider that her Christmas gift to Chris this year. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a free recipe. Yes. So why don't you go ahead and start, and then I'll share one, and we'll come back around to you. Terrific. What's cool about our recipes, as we discovered when we began talking about what we wanted to share, is that they're all essentially finger food. 
we have two savories and a sweet. So it works out great that I'm sharing and then Lisa's sharing and we're coming back to me because I have a savory and a sweet to share. And the first one I want to share is something that I've been making ever since I was a little bitty girl. And I make them every year and generally I make at least four or five batches of these a year. This is my mom's sausage balls recipe. And if you've never had these, you're missing out because they are delicious. You can have them on an omelet. You can have them by themselves. Just microwave them for a few seconds. You can have them for any meal of the day or as a midnight snack. And they will go deliciously with the next recipe that Lisa's going to share as well. So you may want to consider making a couple of these recipes. And the best part about these is there are only three ingredients. I love recipes with only three or four ingredients. In fact, my other recipe only has three ingredients too. So <laughs> you might see a pattern developing with how I cook. <laughs> so here's what you do for my mom's sausage balls. You have one pound of hot sausage, three cups of Bisquick pancake and baking mix, and two cups of sharp cheddar cheese. You get everything to room temperature, and then you combine your sausage and your cheese, and you mix that all up really well. You can do this with a KitchenAid mixer. I know because that's how we've begun doing it lately. You can also just get your hands dirty and mix it all up with your hands. You may have to do that towards the end anyway to get everything nicely incorporated together. Because essentially this is going to turn into, at least initially, a humongous lump of dough. <laughs> but a very nice, pliable, workable dough. It's really beautiful to work with. So after you combine your sausage and your cheese and you mix that up all really well, you add your Bisquick mix. Then you mix that up really, really well. And then you are ready to roll them into little balls. Now, the recipe I saw online, and I looked at a few recipes, but this is the simplest. It's not complicated. It doesn't take multiple types of sausage. But if you look up sausage balls, you'll find tons of different recipes. I find this one the simplest. And frankly, I'm just very attached to it because it's what I make every year. So once you have everything combined and you've mixed in those couple of stages, you can roll them out into balls. Online you're going to see, at least I saw a few times, that you have them in golf ball size balls. I find that you might want them just a smidge smaller than that. However, the trick is you don't want to make them too small. You want them pretty chunky, although I think golf ball is a bit bigger than what I normally do. I've heard walnut size. Walnut is better, yes. I think yeah. walnut is a much better approximation of the way that I do them. Because if you have them too small, they're going to burn. So you definitely do not want to do that. So you roll them out. And you're probably going to get, if you do them walnut size, close to 100 in a batch. And if you do them as long as I've been doing them, you can practically do them in your sleep after a while. And it's just fun. It's kind of meditative work. <laughs> you can just sit there and do them until you fill up your first pan. So once you get them all rolled out, you'll bake them at 380 for 15 to 20 minutes. And you can eat them straight out of the pan. I mean, that's how they're best, I feel. The best thing that I think is cool about them is if you want to bake them ahead, then you can freeze them. So they can last in your freezer for quite a long time. And you take them out, you warm them up, and they're just, I won't say they're just as good as when you made them. <laughs> I won't go that far, but they're still really, really delicious and really wonderful. So that's my mom's recipe, and that's my more traditional recipe that is kind of a family favorite. And I hope you like them as much as I do. The recipe that I have is for my grandmother's cheese log. And my family traditionally makes this around the holidays, but we also often make it for parties. It's really nice and simple and easy. Of course, we also should mention here that the recipes will be in the show notes. 
For this recipe, you can either make a cheese log or a cheese ball. And my grandmother usually made cheese logs. The recipe will make two to three cheese logs and the same number of balls, although you could do little individual balls if you wanted. We always did cheese logs because you serve them with crackers. And we found that if you had a log, it was easier for people to cut and put a nice amount on a cracker. It looked nice. And when you made a ball, people tended to cut bigger pieces and it just disappeared really fast, almost too fast. So we always just like to make them into a cheese log. Plus, when you cut into a cheese ball, it looks really pretty before you cut into it. And then after, when people just start hacking away, it doesn't <laughs> look as nice. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, I mean, first it might look like a Pac-Man, and then it just looks like a mess. So <laughs> we're highly biased in favor of the logs. I used to make this with my grandmother, and subtle I was not because I used to try and hide the mixture in between my fingers. <laughs> and she would come along with her magic rubber spatula <laughs> and <laughs> take it all away, or most of it away. But you really need, when you're making this, you need to have everything kind of ready to go, or you need to have one person to mix and one person to add. So what you need is two blocks of cream cheese, like the regular, I guess they're eight ounce blocks, you know, the ones that you buy in the grocery store in a box. Yep. Two of those. And then a block of Cracker Barrel sharp cheddar cheese. That's always what we used. And there was always a reason why my grandmother used a specific color. And I don't remember if it was the white or the yellow, but there was a reason. It was more colorful. It looked nicer. And I unfortunately do not remember. I figure it can stand up on its own merits because it's really good. And if people don't like the color, then that's more for me, friend. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell I love this recipe? So you have that cheese and you grate it. You can buy it grated, but eh. What's the fun of that? Yeah, yeah. We always just bought the block and grated it. Then you have about a tablespoon. We always use heaping tablespoons. One of chopped onions and one of chopped peppers. Mm. And if you like red peppers and you're making this for Christmas or New Year's, red peppers look really nice. They give it kind of a festive air. And then you put in a little bit of, I hate pronouncing this word because everybody says it differently, Worcestershire, Worcestershire, Worcester sauce. That stuff. Yeah, that stuff. That stuff. And I think it's about a teaspoon. I've got to unearth the recipe with the exact amounts because I just kind of do it. So you put all that in and you mix it up with your hands and then you put it in the refrigerator for about an hour. And the reason you do that is because it does get a little stiffer and it's easier to form. And then you form it into two or three logs and you kind of want to go with longer, narrower logs, again, for putting it on crackers, as opposed to like short, chunky logs. You can do it, but they won't last as long and it will hang over the edge of your crackers. Once you have your logs, then you roll them in chopped pecans or chopped walnuts. And you really don't need much. You can buy one of those small bags of chopped nuts or pieces. Generally, we always ground them in a little chopper. So you're talking kind of fine. You're not talking like the size pieces of nuts you'd find on a coffee cake. You're talking, yeah. 
we go a little bit more fine than that. Some people roll cheese balls or cheese logs in chopped dried beef. And I've had that, but uh, with this recipe especially, it's just not my thing. Anyway, once it's all done, you can wrap it and save it in the fridge to serve. And, you know, odd as it sounds, it's almost, to me, like two different tastes. It's really good when it first comes out of the fridge and it's cold, but it's also really good when it's sat out a while and it almost has kind of a different flavor because they've all mixed together. My family always served it with Ritz crackers. I personally like it better with Triscuits, although my very favorite way to have it is straight off the knife. Oh yeah, that's what I would do, undoubtedly. Definitely. It's really, it's just good, and it's not, I mean, I like just about any kind of cheese. And you can buy, like, the commercial cheese balls or cheese logs that are rolled in almonds, and they're not bad, but this is just, to me, a step above. And I think the mixture of cream cheese and sharp cheddar, I mean, come on. Really? Yeah. Um, Some year, I also want to look up a recipe for a cheese ball that uses blue cheese. I think that would be Oh, see, yeah. When you find that, you share it with me, (laughs) because we're both big blue cheese freaks. You know, I bet that would be good in a sausage ball. Hey, yeah. starving now, and it's it's the morning, and we're like, yeah. Uh I was going to say I'm going to make that cheese ball for Christmas, but my grandmother recently had a massive heart attack, and they have told her, no more cheese. Oh, no cheese oh. forever. Yeah, I know. So I guess I won't be making it for Christmas. In fact, we have been having family discussions about what the heck we're going to do for a Christmas menu because essentially everything that we eat every year for Christmas is out. So not quite sure what Christmas is going to be like this year in terms of our menu, but this definitely can't be on it. So I might just have to make one for me. Yeah. Well, and that's the nice thing too. You can cut this recipe in half. You can also use... I have been known to do this when I'm just making it on the fly for a party or whatever. You also can use the, I don't know what you call them, like the, the dried onions, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah, stuff you just, put like in a green bean casserole, those type things. No, 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 no? not those, not those. Uh, they're like in the spice section. They're like minced onions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I'm with you. Uh-huh. I, I hate chopping onions, so I use those when I can. And usually uh-huh. what I do if I'm doing that is I will put the little bit of Worcestershire sauce in a little bowl, mm-hmm. and I add the minced onions to it, and I just kind of stir it up a little bit with a fork. Oh, I like it, yeah. To reconstitute them, and then I drop it into the cheese mixture. I should look among my spices. I might actually have some of those. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're great for everything. You mm-hmm. can add them to soup. You can, they're just quick, and like, sometimes I'm cooking just for myself, and it almost doesn't make sense to chop a whole onion unless I'm making a boatload of something that I'm going to eat for three or four days. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you're making spaghetti or something, that's one thing. But. Yeah, but like if you're just making, I don't know, like an omelet, yeah. you know, or some eggs, they're a great kitchen helper. And somebody told me the other day they found freeze-dried garlic in the store. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, yeah, where do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this has now been, the Mystic Access podcast has now been taken over by the Food That Makes You Drool podcast. Yum! Or something. <laughs> So now that we've made you really hungry, let me just throw some chocolate on top and make you even hungrier than you were before. This is a recipe that I discovered earlier this year when my mother threw up her hands and said, Kim, you need to find me a really good microwave fudge recipe because I am really sick of slaving over a pot and making fudge the traditional long way. So I did some research and came up with a fudge recipe and we did a little bit of adding to it. 
And we've come up with a really good fudge recipe that I know will become a tradition for me and probably for my mom every single year, at least once, probably two or three times, because it is oh so delicious. And, once again, as with the sausage bar recipe, it's three ingredients. Can you tell how I like to cook? Easy peasy is best, and it just makes me happy. And this one especially makes me happy because the prep time is under 10 minutes. And that's like grabbing your ingredients out of the cabinet and, <laughs> and putting everything together and putting them in the fridge. I mean, everything is 10 minutes. So when I say prep time, I mean it. So this is a chocolate fudge recipe. And what you need for this is one can of sweetened condensed milk. A 12-ounce bag of semi-sweet chocolate chips. Now, you can use milk chocolate. You can use dark chocolate. You can do this however you wish to in terms of your chocolate chips. But pick your flavor in terms of the chocolate you like best, and it should work just fine. So you can use either a 12-ounce, or if you prefer, if you don't have a 12-ounce bag or you have a bigger bag, you can use two cups-ish. And that will give you lots of yummy, creamy chocolate in there. The last ingredient that you need is one teaspoon of vanilla extract. So, you take all this, and the first thing you do is you put your can of sweetened condensed milk and your chocolate chips in a bowl. You just need one of those big microwavable bowls for this, because obviously it's microwave fudge. And you're going to put it all in there, and you're going to put it in the microwave for a minute. Then you're going to take it out, you're going to let it sit for one minute, and then you're going to stir it all up. If your chocolate chips have not melted in that minute time, and they did not for us when we first tried this, you put it back in the microwave for 30 seconds. Take it out, stir it again. If they've still not melted, put them in the microwave again for another 30 seconds. You're doing this at 30 second intervals. And then you take it out and you stir again. So after you've gotten that done, and after the however many 30 second intervals you need, all your chocolate chips are constituted in there and nicely melted. And you can really tell when you're stirring it up. You'll get a pretty good idea as to whether they're all in there. If they're not and you have a few that aren't, I wouldn't worry too much about it because as long as there aren't too many of them, your fudge should set up nicely anyway. It really shouldn't be a big deal. And you'll have a few nice chunky chocolate chips in your mixture, which will be fun to eat later. So after that, you put in your teaspoon of vanilla extract and you, guess what, stir again. So you don't microwave after that, you just stir it up. Then you're ready to pour it into a pan. You can either use a round pan or a square pan. You just have to make sure that it's shallow because you want your fudge to be able to be cut into nice little squares afterwards and not be too thick. So you take your bowl of mixture, pour it into your pan, and put it in the fridge. It does take a little while to set up. The recipe that I found online says that it takes about an hour. But what we found when we did it, and my mom and I tried this together because we were in her kitchen and we were doing other things recently, and we decided to try this recipe, is that two hours is best. So if you leave it in the fridge for two hours, you should be able to cut and eat. In terms of prep and getting ready to take it out and eat it, you've essentially got two hours and ten minutes, and you're done. And you take it out, and usually at least the ones that I have made, the fudges that I've made in the past have all called for confectioner sugar, or what we call down here in the South, powdered sugar. <laughs> so if you are thinking, gosh, I don't want to have to use a pound of sugar or more in my fudge, this is a way to do it and have a really delicious, yummy, creamy consistency without that grainy consistency that a lot of powdered sugar will often bring to your fudge recipes. It's just delicious. Now, we decided we were going to be smart and try this with other types of chips. So we tried it with butterscotch chips, and the same effect did not occur. It never set up. So we used the same ratio of stuff, but it just did not set. So that didn't work. <laughs> it turned into soup. 
you know, you're eating that batch out with a spoon. So chocolate seems to work best in this particular fudge recipe. So that's just one thing to note. And in terms of servings, I really don't know. I really don't know how much it ultimately makes. You have to remember that you're probably going to be sampling some of this as you go to. You know, that's going to cut down on your servings as well. But it's really delicious. It's really wonderful. And certainly, as Lisa was saying with cheese ball, there's no reason you can't double or even triple this recipe if need be. But you're just going to have to have a big pan. I'd probably suggest just doing the same recipe a few times in order to get the amount you need. It's not like it's going to take you very long. If you have enough pans, you can just do it and put them on the fridge and let them set up. So, that is a delicious, creamy, yummy chocolate fudge recipe. And in ours, we also put some pecans in there as well. Just chopped pecans. And it just turned out great. Because I really can't have fudge without pecans in it. I love them. I think it would even be nice. You could add some chopped cherries. Yes. I don't like a lot of that. A, lot, a little of that goes a long way. Because it can be kind of sickeningly sweet. Yep, exactly. But thinking about... People who are more visually focused, the red would be mm -hmm. a very nice holiday mm -hmm. touch. There are so many recipes we could share. I was just thinking of another one. Heck, I love this any time of year. Thankfully, I don't make it any time of year. But if you go to franksredhot.com, they have a buffalo chicken dip recipe right on their front page mm -hmm. that is so amazing. It's cream cheese and chicken and buffalo sauce and dressing and you make basically a dip out of it and you can serve it with celery or crackers. I've had it served with Frito scoops and it's quick and easy. I mean, if you're not really quote a cook, some of these recipes are just stir it up, mix it up, put it in the oven or the microwave or whatever, and you're good to go. Absolutely. Yeah, I love easy-peasy recipes. They just make me happy, and then I can go on and make more of them. So <laughs> it's I fun. I like complex ones, too, but they, I love the easy ones that don't necessarily taste like they were that easy. Yeah, exactly. Yep, because like some three-ingredient recipes, you're like, oh, wow. You know, they really got it down to the bare minimum with those three ingredients. Mm -hmm. And then other times you're thinking, you know, wow, this is amazing. And so we hope we've brought you some of those. <laughs> and that whatever you eat for the holidays, that you will really just have a wonderful time with the people that are most important to you. Because that really is, you know, what it's about. All the rest of this, I think, is just secondary. It doesn't matter if you have, well, not that this is my... Uh, thing but I'm just trying to come up with an example it doesn't really matter if you have caviar if you're miserable I'd rather have a bologna sandwich with people I care about yeah that's so true I've often said my favorite part of the holidays is just doing a lot of the baking stuff and doing it with people I love and just laughing and having a great time and the companionship and it's not nearly as much fun if you're doing it by yourself so if you have the opportunity to do this stuff or particularly just any of your holiday celebrations to celebrate with people who you love and you love to spend time with then Take that opportunity because it really just makes the holidays brighter. Yeah. And the memories are fun. I mean, oh, yeah. sometimes the fun part is when things don't go as they should. We're going back to a previous holiday, but I remember my one sister had taken this course about bread making. And so she made all these different kinds of breads for Thanksgiving. And she wanted to put them in a cornucopia or horn of plenty made out of bread. And so she made this mold with a coffee can and foil. And then what she wanted to do was to have this long, <laughs> I can't even say it without starting to laugh, this long rope of bread dough that she wrapped around the mold. So she and I are stretching this rope of bread dough. And 
she's very kind of, at least she was at that age, very kind of brusque. And she's like, step back, step back. Okay, a little farther. And I'm saying, it's going to break. <laughs> and she says, no, it's not. Step back. So I'm stepping back. And she's stepping back. All of a sudden, I hear splat. <laughs> and the splat was it breaking apart, hitting the floor. The was the end flying up and adhering itself right in the center of her forehead. <laughs> At which point, you heard two rather large thuds as two seemingly adults collapsed to the floor <laughs> in a fit of laughing. <laughs> Sometimes the things that go wrong are just as funny, just as memorable as the things that go right. And we did get the cornucopia patched together and baked. We did not, we did not eat it. <laughs> it fit on the floor. But apparently it looked like a thing of beauty, and I still think she has pictures of it. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Chris, on that, for you to talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On, on that note, I think we just want to take this time and wish everybody a happy holiday, no matter how you celebrate it or who you celebrate it with, and also a happy new year, and we will talk to you then. Take care, everybody. Bye. 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 Happy New The preceding podcast is a presentation of Mystic Access, where the magic is in learning. To contact us, please visit www.mysticaccess.com. Call us, 716-543-3323, and press 2 to reach our Mystic Access podcast comment line. Email us at show at mysticaccesspodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash mysticaccess. Would you like to spread the word about our podcasts? Please tell your friends and colleagues to visit us at www.mysticaccesspodcast.com. If you enjoy what you hear on our podcasts, feel free to leave us an iTunes rating and review. We certainly appreciate those. Also, you may feel free to use our podcasts in your own RSS feed. Just be sure that all of our contact information is left intact. Thanks for spreading the word, and thanks for listening. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode.